Kevin Mondro here, Coach Dro, D-R-O. Welcome back to the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast. The podcast where we advocate coaches and help young coaches learn from the coaches telling these stories. Before today's inspiring coach, I wanted to share something that I read the other day. It comes from Brian Kite. Follow Brian at T-Brian, K-I-G-H-T. And Brian is the author of the DailyDiscipline.com newsletter. Quote, everyone measures themselves somehow. I'm not talking about height and weight measurements. I mean worth, value, capability, and importance. Because people are unsure how to best measure themselves in these ways. They look for things to measure themselves against. The weakest measure is against other people. The strongest measure is against your own values. Answer the call. Do the work. End quote. Awesome stuff, Brian. And I would highly recommend his daily discipline newsletter. I know one thing. Brian gets me off to an incredible start every morning. Today, we are talking to Coach Phil Martelli Jr. Coach Phil is currently the associate head coach for Coach Jared Grasso at Bryant University. And Bryant is fresh off an incredible season. NEC regular season champs, NEC tournament champs, and an NCAA tournament appearance. And if you are following Bryant basketball this offseason, wow, I would highly recommend checking them out. This is a program that is, quite simply, exploding on the mid-major scene. Coach Martelli has been an assistant coach since he was the age of 22. That's right. At one time, Coach Phil was the youngest assistant coach in America. After playing at St. Joe's for his father, Coach Phil Martelli, Coach Phil started on his own coaching journey. Coaching stops at St. Joe's, Delaware, Niagara, Manhattan, Central Connecticut State, and now Bryant and Coach Phil even spent a year in the G League. As Coach Phil approaches almost 20 years in the profession, I have not talked to a coach who truly loves being on or part of a team as much as Coach Phil. In a profession where we are all racing to see where we can go, Coach Phil reminds us right away that being part of a team is simply so powerful. And I can't stress enough to listen to the end of this conversation. The advice that Coach Phil gives to young coaches is flat out inspiring. Trust me, it has inspired me as I approach the next chapter in my professional career. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform that you are currently listening. Remember, we are everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Please keep telling your coaching friends about this podcast. The bigger audience we can create, the bigger impact we can make with younger coaches. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. I get countless coaches connecting with me daily. Enough of Coach Dro. Let's get to Coach Phil Martelli Jr. and tell his story. Before we dive into Coach's story, if you are listening to this podcast, then you are serious about the coaching profession and like me, always looking for ways to become a better coach and leader. I highly recommend that you go to Amazon today and order a copy of the book, Deep, The Life of Rob Murphy, Alive with Purpose. Coach Rob Murphy is the current Senior Director of Player Personnel for the Detroit Pistons, as well as the President and General Manager of the Motor City Crews. I had the wonderful opportunity to work for Coach Murph for 10 seasons. Why should you put Deep in your Amazon cart today? Deep, The Life of Rob Murphy. Deep chronicles Coach Murphy's remarkable journey from growing up in one of the toughest neighborhoods in Detroit nearly being killed to landing an assistant coaching position at Syracuse University under the great Jim Beheim. Deep also gives incredible insight of a coach in the world of collegiate basketball, providing a behind-the-scenes view of both the Syracuse and Eastern Michigan University basketball programs. Throughout this book, Coach Murphy shares valuable life lessons that allowed him to defy the odds and become the basketball powerhouse that he is today. In telling his story, with truth and confidence, Coach Murph provides a surge of inspiration to the rest of us. You can't control where you come from, but you can decide where you're going. Trust me, after you read Chapter 1, you won't put this book down. And you will want to connect with Coach Murph ASAP. Deep, the life of Rob Murphy, alive with purpose. Phil, why do you coach? I coach because I love the game of basketball and I love being part of the team. I 
don't know that I was ever the best player on any team I ever played on. I've been fortunate, even as a young guy, to play on some good teams and championship winning teams. And I don't know if I was ever the best player, but I, I'll be darned if I didn't strive to be the best teammate. And I still keep that with me in coaching today. I love being part of a team within our own program and within the bigger picture of a university athletic department and all that. I just love being part of a team. When you think of that word team, why do you think you just fell in love with the team aspect versus the individual aspect? Well, I, I think the fact that you're one, you know, a team isn't necessarily an all-star team, right? It's, it's how do all the pieces fit? And, you know, my strengths have to complement the next guy's strengths and my weaknesses can be picked up by the next guy's strengths. You know, I think just the idea of there's something bigger than yourself, that no matter how good you are, there's something bigger. You need help. And I, I just have always loved that idea in sports, especially basketball, because I think it is the greatest team game, you know, where there's not an offensive group and a defensive group, where there's not you out on an island by yourself. All right, how am I working with these four other guys on the court to elevate each other and elevate our team? So you're currently the associate head coach at Bryan University for Coach Jared Grasso. This past season was an incredible year for you guys. NEC regular season and tournament champions, of course, the NCAA tournament. But right off the bat, who is Coach Jared Grasso? Jared is a competitor. He is the, an ultimate competitor. He is a fabulous basketball mind. Really the best outside-the-box thinker that I've been around and, and willing to push the envelope with everything. You know, of, well, why do we do this? Well, you know, you've been in this a long time, just like me. Like, well, we just kind of what we do. And it's like, well, why? You know, like, why do we have to do it that way? Why can't we do this from everything, you know, from, from everything throughout the entirety of the program? You know, what can we do? How can we do it better? Hey, this is good, but how can we do it better? Or is there a better way? But he is an ultimate competitor. He's a super, super hard worker and a brilliant basketball mind. And, and he's been a great friend to me for a long time. He looks incredible yeah. on the <laughs> sidelines. And the other thing, too, his passion. He's got better hair than me. That's for sure. <laughs> his passion and his energy. And we're going to talk about some of the out-of-the-box things that I have saw just from an observer, just kind of observing the program for the last couple of years. But his passion and energy on the bench, it's inspiring. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And he has calmed down considerably from our first year. And It's, it's funny how when you get better players, it calms down a little bit, but he's certainly, and, and he's like that, you know, basically every day. His passion, his energy, you know, all those things really kind of flow through the program. And, and it's made Bryant, you know, a nationally talked about program, you know, four or five years ago, outside of the state of Rhode Island and a little bit outside New England, no one really knew what Bryant was. But I think it's become, you know, something of a talked about name throughout the country. Obviously, the success help, success in the transfer portal and recruiting tactics and things like that have, have certainly sparked conversation and, you know, credit to him. It, it all goes to him for sure. So you mentioned out-of-the-box thoughts, transfer portal, better players, his leadership. I think in 2017-18, Ryan Basco might have won three games. Yep. You guys just accepted a bid to the American East Conference. How did you guys truly rebuild this program? So it's funny, when, when he got the job and we first talked about it, I, him and I have been friends a long time. So we started in the business together. He's a year older than me. So, you know, we started working camps and we were maybe even still both playing in college, but at least right when we started coaching. So we've been friends 18, 19 years now. Mm. And when he called me, I told him, I said, I have full belief in you. I just want to come up and see the place and know that, that they're into this. and you know, coming up here and meeting Bill Smith, the athletic director, and being around campus, there was something there. You know, there was some facility things there that you were like, hey, there's there's some commitment here. There's some, you know, real belief that, that they can do something here. Former President Ron Makeley had set an incredible tone with that. So coming up here, neither of us had been part of a rebuild, like a, a major rebuild like this. You know, we had both been parts of success, but it was success of places that had had a history, that had a tradition that had an established head coach, that had those types of things in place. So coming up, it was a complete rebuild. And the number of hours that we've talked about just that alone over the last four years, I, I couldn't even begin to guess you know, what that was. And, and it was a rebuild of everything. It started on the court for sure with getting the guys that we inherited to understand that there's a competitive level and a work level that has to be reached. Filtering that out kind of 
moving guys along that that weren't quite into that, embracing guys that were, obviously flipping the roster to get our guys in there, guys that we recruited, guys that we knew had that chip on their shoulder, that were willing to work, that were willing to compete, getting that. But also the amount of work to just just get everybody to understand that, yes, there's a way that you've done things that led to three wins. And if you want to have the, the success that we had envisioned of championships and NCAA tournament games and things like that, that there's certain things that need to be done. And, and to the credit of the university, whether it's admissions, whether it's you know our compliance people, department people, other people on campus, residents, you know, all the way down the line, everyone has been supportive of that. And I, I spoke at a pep rally the day of our championship game on campus. Uh-huh. And I said that like that that wasn't our championship. That championship was everybody's championship because they all played a part in that over four years. The amount of phone calls to, you know, admissions to say, Hey, you know, we need to we have this transfer that wants to visit, we need this transcript read like today, you know, and not, well, there's a two week process to get like you know, those were the types of things that kind of needed to be rebuilt along with obviously the on the court stuff. How do you guys score so many points? <laughs> We are very offensive-minded, so it's funny. Jared's eye always goes to the offensive end. Mm. And after our first year, he kind of said to me, he said, are you comfortable taking our defense? I said, absolutely. So he said, all right, you, that just kind of be your focus, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll continue to, to you know, peek at it, but I'm going to focus on the offense. But we play fast. We give a lot of freedom. We really preach sharing the ball, mm. and that's a big deal. And, and it's funny to say that when you have the leading scorer in the country right? Uh, this year. But, you know, he was an unselfish guy and not a selfish player at all. So, you know, getting guys to buy into that, that, look, we're going we're gonna to move the ball. And it's just a very simple philosophy of, like, look, take care of the ball, which we haven't done a great job of. But for the number of possessions we play at, you know, we're okay. But sharing the ball, which we've done a very good job of, understanding which shots to take and which shots not to take. And we're not a complete, like, well, we're only taking layups and threes and we're taking no mid-range. Like, we'll give guys some freedom to shoot those if they prove that they can shoot them at a reasonable percentage. But that always comes into play with, with especially newer guys, is teaching them that shot selection. And it's just an aggressive mindset that, that we're going to score, we're going to go at you, we're going to try and put pressure on you on that end and, and put up points. The other piece of it is we have incredible skill development. Chris Cole, who's one of our assistants, is a longtime high school coach, is the best I've been around mm. uh, in terms of skill development with guys. And you see it with the, the improvements of Peter Kiss, with the improvements of Charles Pride, and yeah. you know, up and down the line, the guys that we've had improve. And there's a confidence that comes with that. And it's, been, it's allowed us to, to score it at a high level. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. You look at Kiss, I mean, 25 points a game. You know, his his field goal percentage is high. You look at Pride, yep. seven, almost 18 points a game. Both of those guys, about 45% from the field. Like, how does Coach, I mean, before we move to the defense with you and your staple, how does Coach Jared get these guys these shots? Well, he, he is really, really good. As I said, he's a great basketball mind. So, I mean, he'll watch, you know, we'll go back and forth a ton, and, you know, we're getting ready to play whoever, and, you know, he'll say, like, I, I think we can take advantage of this with this guy. And, and to be honest with you, one of my roles is to try and, like, calm him down at times mm. because, you know, he'll come in and say, all right, I have these nine actions that I think we can run. Mm. You know, we, we play when we were in the Northeast Conference, we played Thursday, Saturday. So, yeah. you know, we play Thursday night. You know, you, you beat somebody Thursday night. You know, you're up Friday morning and you know, you're watching tape through the night and then, you know, you have a one o'clock, two o'clock practice on Friday to play at one o'clock on Saturday. And he'd be like, all right, I have these nine actions that I think we can run for Pete or for Chuck or for Hall or for Luis or for Adam or whoever. And I'm like, yeah, we can't run nine. We're not going to be able to run nine. But he's got, he's got much better with that. But we do. And we have an extensive, not playbook because it's not necessarily things that we've given the guys, but just an extensive kind of uh, arsenal, you know, that, that we kind of keep to say, Hey, remember that action that we talked about or, and, and I mean, we're, it's constant. Like it's right now, it's in August, it's in September, it's in November, it's in between games on bus rides, but him and I are constantly back and forth of like, you see this action? What about this action? You think this action will work? Like, Mm. Hey, here's a good action. How can we tweak that for us? And, And things like that. But yeah, he's always, always, always going and always thinking of how we can get 
everybody, you know, how we can, how we can take advantage of any mismatch, anything that we think, you know, we can use, we'll, we'll throw in there. I remember watching the NCAA tournament against Wright State, and I was really blown away how you guys extended your defense and changed your defense so often. Like, talk me through this process. So we start with our pressure. And, and it's funny because, like, one of the things that we haven't done a great job of for these last two or three years, now that we've had, like, pretty good athleticism, pretty good positional size for our conference or for our level, you know, we're very aggressive defensively, but we haven't turned teams over, which is a little strange. Mm-hmm. And him and I actually talked about this yesterday. I'm like, I still don't understand why. And I've watched it a million times through our pressure, through our half-court defense, like why we just haven't gotten that. So, you know, we start with our pressure and we have multiple pressures we'll throw out there at different times. We'll start with our pressure, try to get after people that way. Even if we don't turn them over, it's two things. One, if we can create a quick shot, you know, get teams to shoot quick. Because, again, we play at a very fast pace. Most teams are not playing at that pace. So if we can get the game into a, you know, 73, 74, 75 possession game, that's in our favor. When a lot of these teams are playing at 64, 65, 66. Mm -hmm. So we will try to force some quick shots that way. And even if we don't, a lot of times what happens is now there's 17, 18 on the clock by the time they're like getting into half court offense. Yeah. You know, and then we'll get into one of our half court defenses, whether it's zone, whether it's man to man, you know, whatever it is. And even during the possession, we'll kind of, we have some triggers that will send us into certain things, you know, and and again, just a way to kind of muck the game up and give people more things to prepare for. And, Mm. And you know it, you've done it, you know, when you're, when you have that scout and you're going into your head coach and. You know, when you were walking into Murph and you're playing against somebody like us and you're going like, all right, Murph, like, and he's saying, what do we need to work? We got two days to prep. What do we need to work on? And you're going like, well, we need to work on transition defense. We need to work on press offense. We right. need to work on, we need to work on man to man offense. We need to, do, do, do. and he's looking at you going like, well, we can't do all that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really just kind of a way that kind of takes people out of what they're comfortable doing. You know, we scout it pretty hard. We'll go through pretty hard. It's like main actions, but. At the same time, we kind of trust what we do and, you know, try to balance that way of matching and scouting, but also saying, hey, this is what we do and we're going to trust what we do. Over my 20 years in college coaching, there is one constant with me. That is, I have always loved a great coaching clinic. And if you are looking for some great coaching clinics to attend this spring, then you must attend an NABC clinic. The NABC is having clinics in the following cities. Chicago, Boston, Atlanta, Las Vegas, and Nashville. And here's a small list of coaches that will be presenting at these clinics. Ed Cooley, Matt Painter, Mark Adams, Mike Bray, Greg Gard, Chris Jans, Roy Williams, Greg Campy, Jeff Bowles, and so many more. And if you sign up and enter the code 25NABC22, you'll get $25 off the clinic register now at championshipproductions.com well the beauty of murph is he would just look at me and say drew we're playing zone it was the bayheim <laughs> coach murph mentality like the zone will take care of itself but that's uh, i love the that you guys mix and we've leaned a lot to zone and really yeah. um, joey gallo who's coach at merrimack a good friend who does a great job unbelievable job and they came into our league the first year with division two guys and won the league because everybody was like the zone just stifled everybody and we had been playing some zone some different things and you know we really kind of adapted that with some of the stuff we were doing and tried to morph it into uh you know i i, I say like his zone at least coming to our league was like princeton offense and then you know how like everybody in mm-hmm. whatever it was like 10 15 years ago tried to like soup up the princeton offense like that's kind of our version of that you know like we take what they do and and kind of some of the syracuse stuff and then we just kind of souped it up into what works for us so you mentioned maybe not turning people over as much as you guys would like, but you guys really defend the three-point line, and that's a big thing in college basketball right now. How do you guys defend that three-point line so well? We make an emphasis of it. Our guys understand that we're not trying to give up threes. Like you know, One of Joey's quotes that we use, too, and we actually don't do as good of a job as they do, but you know, one of his things is like that no one should shoot it where they catch it. You, know, you don't want to give up shots where guys are just catching and shooting. So mm. you know, we try to do that. I think our style of play, I think it wears into guys. You know, we always say, like, we're, we're as well-conditioned as anybody in the country, and we play in the full court all the time, you know, throughout practice, even throughout now, like, through the, the spring and then the summer stuff. 
and guys aren't used to doing that. So I do think it weighs into guys, gets into their legs at some point in time that all of a sudden, you know, those, those rhythm catch and shoot threes with five minutes to go, they're, they're not as easy because guys are worn down, you know, when we give those up. So, you know, that certainly plays a factor. It, it has helped the last couple of years for us. We had tremendous, tremendous rim protection with uh, Hall Elijah and then yeah. who was one of the best shot blockers in the country. And then Greg Kalix, who was a, a grad transfer from George Mason, was a big imposing guy. And he actually, over the course of the year, became a pretty reliable shot blocker. So having that rim protection allowed our guards and our perimeter guys to be a little more aggressive, you know, running people off the line. So really it's that. It's just kind of making that emphasis. We're not drill guys. Like, we don't sit there and, you know, we'll occasionally do like a closeout drill and things like that as like a warm-up. But we're not, it's not like we're sitting there you know, 45 minutes every day drilling closeouts. And we don't have a, like, my thing to our guys is like, just don't let them get off. Like, I'm not going to tell you, like, break down, take two steps, chop here, do this, you know, this hand up. Like, just don't let them get the shot off. That's what we preach. And, you know, to our guys' credit, they fall into it for the most part. So your dad, of course, is Coach Phil Martelli, former National Coach of the Year, tremendous run at St. Joe's. The current associate head coach at Michigan, you know, did an unbelievable job stepping in for Coach Howard at the end of the regular season. You were a team captain at St. Joe's in 2002-3. You played in two NCAA tourneys for your dad. What was it like playing for Coach Phil Martelli? Well, first of all, I always say this. It's using the term play loosely. I was on the team. <laughs> and and I, I did get to play in quite a few games because we had really, really good players, Jameer Nelson, Delonte West, Pat Carroll, John Bryant, Dwayne Jones, like all guys that, that had sniffed the NBA. And, you know, so I was very fortunate that way. But it was an unbelievable experience. As I said, I just love being part of a team. Mm-hmm. And back to that concept for a second, like, and I said this to our guys earlier this year, like, you know, a lot of people use family and we do too, you know, and, and that's obviously become a thing in sports. But I've never loved that. My dad actually is one of the people that, first kind of instilled this in me like everybody i know is part of a family right. not everybody i know is part of a team and i just think like there's just something so special about that and i was fortunate on those teams throughout those four years to be with some incredible people some lifelong friends mike farrelly who's an assistant at penn state now we were walk on together and we are the best of friends not you know you know how it is like you have like really good coaching friends like no we're like yeah. the best of friends like our wives are as close could be as could be you know our that was best man in his wedding that was godfather and godfather to one of his children like my kids call him uncle mike you know like that type of stuff you know the connections uh, obviously still close with jameer and john bryant and bill phillips who played as an assistant at delaware like there just was a a group of guys each of those years that just really embraced and and what i always said is I just wanted to be number 10. You know, like in the locker room, I just wanted to be number 10. I didn't want to be Phil Jr. I didn't want to be Coach's son. I didn't want guys to feel like, well, you know, I can't say this because he's in here. You know, and I never wanted to feel that, and I never did. And and to be honest with you, there were days that were tough. You know, there were days you walk out of practice, you know, so-and-so's in there going like, man, you know, Coach, da-da-da-da-da, and blank this and bleep that. and <laughs> You know, you got to sit there and take that, but but they always knew I was on their side. I was not running back and saying, well, you know, I'm not a spy. You know, like I'm not sitting and saying, well, this so-and-so is unhappy. And this guy, like, no, it was. And to my dad's credit, to his staff's credit, Matt Brady, Monte Ross, who I eventually ended up working for, and Mark Bass, like those guys, and my dad included, like they all treated me. When I was on the court, I was number 10. Like I was just like the, the other players and when I did something right, the few occasions I did something right, I got applauded. And when I did something stupid, I got a kick in the butt, you know, and that's all I ever wanted, you know, was to be part of that and, and make those memories. So, yeah, it was a blast. It, it really was. Time for a quick 30 second timeout. Getting this podcast to you is all because of my friends at Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed at all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so many more. You also get a great-looking podcast website. They provide audio players that you can drop into other websites. They give detailed analytics to see how people are listening. To start your own podcast, follow the link in my show notes. Let Buzzsprout know that I sent you. You'll get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And this also helps support my show. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. 
you know, you were talking about your defensive philosophy and I was kind of just chuckling when you were talking about, you know, you're not going to break down it into a drill. Just be like, don't get beat. And one of the big things with your dad is one-on-one drills. He's, he has this, as you know, he has this unique black duffel bag that he pulls out (laughs) all these notes and then he'll, he has like 18 staple one-on-one drills and he believes, and he's always secrets out. You know, we lived next to each other for 18 months. It was an incredible 18 months. It was like that book Tuesdays with Maury every day, (laughs) every day I got a lesson from coach Martelli on being a coach, a dad, a husband, uh, so forth. Incredible, incredible human being. One-on-one drills. You mentioned, you just slipped in there. You guys go full court one-on-one. Is one-on-one a big part of you in your defensive philosophy? For sure. And it's actually something that we need to do more of. And we, we've done a decent job of it, but we just talked about this. Like we need to do more of just to, we end up in a lot of ISO situations, you know, with the way we play defense, a lot of, you know, for teams get into late clock and ISO and you know that's one of our things to try and improve on is just guarding the ball just simply guarding the ball and there's no way no better way to do that than one-on-one I mean every individual workout that I do with that influence from my dad there's a one-on-one element in there you know whether it's one segment of it or two segments of it you know a lot of times I like to do it as a build-up you know like hey we're working on you know finishes from this spot all right now we're playing one-on-one kind of build it up from there so yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, he's been adamant forever that every day he should be playing one-on-one. And, and uh, you know, that has certainly filtered into me. So I got to imagine you and your brother, who's a high level, you know, involved in college athletics at VCU, director of ops there. Like, I got to imagine you guys are just playing one-on-one in the driveway all the time with your dad with no whistle. That's another big staple of your dad. I just Yeah, the, the one-on-one games with Jimmy were <laughs> younger. Anything we did, it didn't always. We never. I don't know if we ever finished a game of anything, whether it was one on one, wiffle ball, ping pong, Atari. You know, like everything was always. Uh, it got a little overly competitive and ended up with either somebody breaking something or somebody swinging at somebody. So yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of. <laughs> we we played, but it didn't finish. So I I don't even know what the career records are. Now he'll probably tell you that he beat me more than he, than I beat him, but you know it. The career records are out the window because I think I don't know how many of those games got finished, but yeah, there was there was a lot of that for sure. Well, last thing on your dad, he is incredible about reading the newspaper every day in his Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> I had to check his mail constantly when he was out in the road recruiting, and and for someone, you know, he's a high level recruiter. You don't think that about Coach Phil Martelli, but high level recruiting, loves recruiting, obviously coaching, you know, mentoring the staff at Michigan and the players. I've been able to meet your mom a few times. And I've heard she was a really, really good player, a little bit better than dad. But how much of a role did your mom play in your basketball identity? So it is true. She's the the most successful. She had the most successful playing career with my wife actually being number two. Mm -hmm. So my mom played at Immaculata, won three national championships in the 72, 73, 74, I think it was, and lost her senior year. She would have won four and they lost her senior year. And they met at basketball camp, which is ironic because my wife and I met when working at the Howie Dickman basketball camp when I was coaching at Central Connecticut. Hmm. And my wife played at Eastern Connecticut Division Three, and lost in the national championship game. She was starting point guard captain and lost in the national championship game. So as far as the men in our family, we have not. And my, my brother, his wife, Julie, is in the Hall of Fame at Towson for field hockey. So the men in our family, we are far inferior as athletes to the women in our family. So, but my mom... You know, to answer your question, the role she played, she's the one that lugged us around and brought us to all the games and, you know, my dad's games so we could watch and then our own games so we could play and practices and, you know, the incredible sacrifice that she made. And and really what she did was she just nurtured whatever it is that, that was important to us, mm. you know, and whether it was basketball or my brother played soccer for a while and my sister playing basketball and playing lacrosse and softball and different things. She just nurtured that. And then anything, and I always say, I wish we were more cultured, but you know, even if it was stuff that was outside of sport, you know, any of that stuff academically and things like that, she just nurtured that and and pushed us to be our best uh, in every aspect. And I, you know, now that I have my own kids and doing Right. Running around at night and one had a soccer game and yep. picking her up and the little one and then getting home to get my son to his AU basketball practice and then yep. coming home to feed the other two and then go back to pick the other two up as my wife had a meeting for work. It's like, man, like 
how did my mom do this? You right. know, with three of us all those years. And, and really the rules at that time, you know, my dad was gone a lot more than I am because mm-hmm. the rules were basically, you could recruit at any time, you could go anywhere at any time. And he was gone a lot, but just her love and her support, even to this day of, you know, just an encouraging word. I mean, she's, she is a flat out saint. No matter what it was that we were going to do or want to do in our lives, she is the first and biggest cheerleader that we'll ever have. Hey, coach, I need one more 30-second timeout, and I need to tell you about my affiliate partner that I've been supporting since episode one, that friend, Desmond Ferguson, the owner of Moneyball Sportswear. Check out MoneyballSportswear.com. Let me tell you about the gear that Moneyball produces. Men's, women's, boys, and girls sports attire. Get all your spring. That's right, I said it. Spring gear ASAP. Truly, what are you waiting for? And if you are high school, and especially an AAU coach, getting into the AAU season this spring and summer, and you need a new set of uniforms, please reach out to Moneyball. The uniforms that Desmond and his team create are simply spectacular. Go to MoneyballSportswear.com. Shop away. Enter the promo code DRO, D-R-O, in the coupon checkout. Grow with us, Moneyball. The only way to ball. So you mentioned Central Connecticut, where you met your wife, 22 years old. You were the youngest assistant coach in the country. If you could now write a letter to yourself at 22, what would it say about approaching this profession? I would say, to be honest with you, I would say to myself, continue to work hard at the jobs that you're at. And, you know, one of the things that I I feel like I've done is I feel like I've done that. Like, I, I, I always say, like, I want to earn the respect of the people that I work with. So I would reinforce that you know, work really hard, be a good person, you know, help the people around you earn their respect. I would also tell myself to be a little bit better at the networking side. Mm. And it's not a side that I'm super aggressive with. And, you know, obviously there's some guys out there that are maybe over the top with it, but I would say be a little bit better with that, you know, be a, be a little bit better with that and understand that this is a long journey. You know, at, at, at 22, what I understand now at 40, almost 41, they didn't understand the 22 is, you know, I want to do this for a long time. And yeah, do I want to be a head coach? I absolutely do. And, you know, at 22, I probably thought, okay, yeah, I'll do this for, you know, five, 10 years, I'll be a head coach. And, you know, but what I've seen is that doesn't always lead to longevity. And I would like to do this for a long time. I, I worked with a guy, the Delaware 87, who's Dan Passion. He was become a very, very good friend who was an NBA guy. It's actually now with University of Washington women. And we're the same age and kind of had the same experiences, mine in college, his in, in the NBA. And he would say that to me all the time. He's like, I, yeah, do I want to be on the front of an NBA bench? Yeah, I absolutely do. But I also want to do this for a long time. I would tell myself at 22, you're on the right path. You just have to be comfortable with the twists and the turns and, and all those things that happen to you. Everything's going to be okay. Like everything's going to be okay. You know, the, the jobs you don't get, the jobs you do get, the the crew you don't get the tough nights the tough losses like everything's gonna be okay you know just find a way to pull yourself up get back on that horse and you know try to move forward so you mentioned the G League you've been at St Joe's you've been at Delaware Niagara Manhattan of course now Bryant you know almost approaching eighteen so years in the business what do you think are some skills needed to be an assistant coach I, I think you have to be a a true worker you know I do think that gets eventually gets figured out you know the guys that, that don't really really work so i think you have to be a hard worker i think you have to be flexible and for me i think you have to be organized that's how it works for me i know there's some guys out there that are able to do it without being organized for mm-hmm. me i need to be organized and i say this all the time i don't need to be organized so that there's no chaos i need to be organized so that when the inevitable chaos of every day of our coaching lives comes about that i'm ready and i can handle it and that's a big one for me you know obviously everybody throws out the loyalty word that's that's important i think just being able to handle responsibility like what i tell young guys that come to me and say i want to do this i what i tell them is like just show you can handle responsibility whatever it is if i say to you hey that trash in that corner needs to be picked up and you go like nah the hell with that i'm not doing it well why would i say to you hey could you watch this game and tell me what vermont's doing you know like why would i give you that so I think showing that you can handle responsibility leads to more responsibility, you know, and I think that's a big deal. And, you know, the other thing is to me is this, like, if you want to coach, you need to coach. Like you can't be caught up in, well, am I the third assistant at a division two school 
but I should be the top assistant at an ACC school. Right. Like you can't get up in that. If you're coaching, you're coaching. To yep. be quite frank, like if you would have told me, told, you know, to go back to your previous question, that 22 year old is sitting in that office at Central Connecticut that, hey, in, you know, 18, 19 years, you're going to be in the Northeast Conference at Bryant. I'd be like, you're crazy. You know, I, I'll be the head coach of the, you know, Louisville right. or something. But I've learned that. Like I'm coaching. You know, I get to do this every day. I get to put my sweats on and go in the office and break down film and call recruits and call their families and make connections and do all the things like you're coaching. So I don't think that can ever be taken lightly as an assistant. And Darren Savino, who's the assistant at UCLA, we're friendly. We're not like close friends or anything, but he had sent me a note one time after I got one of my jobs, maybe at Delaware. I'll never forget this. I still have the note. He doesn't even know this, but hmm. he sent me this note and it said, never underestimate the impact you can have as an assistant coach. Mm. And I think about that. When I tell you to think about that every single day, I think about it every single day. That there's an impact you can have with the program, with an individual, with whatever. There's an impact you can have. And I think if you're willing to work hard, you know, you, you show you can handle those responsibilities and, and you can communicate, then you can have that impact. You know, that's really cool. So obviously this podcast is driven for younger coaches to keep on inspiring, encouraging, you know, but just, I just thought about your friend, NBA, G League, Washington women. It's kind of the same experience for me this year. Entire career with men, coach this year with the women was, you know, you could say the third assistant coach, <laughs> you know, but, you know, coaching's coaching. When everyone asked me like, Joe, what was it like? I was like, when that ball goes up, practice starts, it's coaching and it's coaching basketball. And I think that's really inspiring mindset for assistant coaches. And I'm really appreciative that you shared that. No, absolutely. So, you know, talked about wanting to be a head coach, but you have been the acting head coach when coach Grasso could not coach a game at Bryant. Like how did all your years as an assistant prepare you for being a head coach? So it's funny because I've been able to do it twice. Once That's right. This year, yeah. Last year. So last year we were playing at New Hampshire and the morning of the game, Jared called me and he has back issues from right. back when he was there at Quinnipiac. And he called me. He's like, I'm in rough shape. He's like, I don't know if I can get on the bus. I'm like, well, what do you mean? You know, I'm thinking like, all right, he's going to drive or he's going to need someone to drive him. He's like, I don't think I can make the trip. So it was, that was like a 9 a.m., 9.30 a.m., you know, phone call to play it. I think we were playing at four o'clock that day. Mm. That was kind of a whirlwind one of, all right, look, the game plan since that. And, and the other thing is that both times at New Hampshire last year, at Wagner this year, they were my scouts. Okay. So that obviously helps. You know, I had a very, I was super familiar with both teams. So, you know, the New Hampshire one was, was a quick one. You know, all of a sudden it was like, all right, you're going to have to do this. You know, so there wasn't a whole lot of time to think about it. The Wagner one this year, we were playing on a Thursday. I think it was a Monday. You know, Jared called me and tested positive for COVID. That was a little bit of a crazy one just because at the same time, we had gotten a call. It was right after Christmas. My kids had been home in Philadelphia with my wife. My brother-in-law just tested positive. They'd been around him. So she was running to get them tested. We're waiting on results for that. You know, so now he's calling me going, I'm positive. I'm like, wait a second. Like, there's just like too much going on. <laughs> so... You know, with the New Hampshire one, like there was no practices, there was no buildup. Mm-hmm. With Wagner, obviously practice, all that. And really, the way I prepared was the way that we would prepare no matter what. You know, whether he was there or I wasn't there, or, you know, whatever was going on. I just prepared the same way, that this is what we do. This is, you know, we're going to watch film the same way. We're going to practice the same way. You know, and I talked to the guys about, like, look, it's the same when we have a player injured. You know, and now, okay, he's not here, but... We're not going to all of a sudden become a uh, Princeton offense team, you know, in a day because the head coach isn't here. Like, no, we're going to do what we do. We're going to run. We're going to press. We're going to get after people. We're going to play aggressive. We're going to do all those things. And, you know, credit to our players. And and we won the New Hampshire game. We lost the Wagner game in overtime. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to our our players' credit, you know, they went out and did it. I'm a big believer in, like, you know, as much as I love coaching, like, we get in the way sometimes, too. And actually, in that Wagner game, I got in the way. I called a timeout tie game we had the ball we were kind of dribbling our best player Peter Kiss had the ball and I ended up calling timeout because probably I wanted to show everybody how smart I was and really I just showed how dumb I was with the lousy play and we don't score and go to overtime but credit to the guys and then actually we had a crazy game with LIU this year at home with there was 11 technical fouls both head coaches thrown out so the last I guess it was 18 or 19 minutes of that game. I got to be the head coach and we came out with a win. So I'll call my record one and a half and one. If the Elias Sports Bureau is ever watching, that's what I'm going to tell them. 
you know, you mentioned recruiting and obviously we're in a different world with the portal and so forth. Besides the specifics and so forth of recruiting, like I love what you said about connections and making connections and recruiting. As you think about your own recruiting philosophy, how do you make connections with recruits? Well, I think it's finding common ground. It's become a little bit easier, to be honest with you, with the transfers because they're a little more mature and those are a little more like business decision-y. You know, sometimes it's a high school kid, it becomes a little more like, okay, you got to stroke them a little bit. And all right, you know, like, let's talk about this. And, and the processes are a little bit long. So, you know, with them, so you're, you're trying to find things to kind of connect on. But, you know, I think it's that. I think it's showing that, hey, we have an opportunity for you that fits. And this is why it fits. And being real with them. I think being really real mm-hmm. with like, this is what it is. And especially in this day and age where guys are coming and going so much that, you know, if you tell them, hey, it's sunny five days of the week and it's only sunny four and a half days of the week, they're coming to you at the end of the year going like, well, you told me it was going to be sunny five days and it was only sunny four and a half days of the week and I want out of here. So I think being really real, when you say to them, like, look, when you come to Brian, you're going to work really, really hard, you know, but we're going to be in the gym with you. We're going to be working to get you better. We're going to, you know, do these things and you can fulfill those promises. Then there's a, even for guys that aren't playing as much, there's a little bit like, all right, yeah, yeah, this makes sense. And that word travels. The world is small. The basketball world is smaller. So, you know, that word will travel that, hey, if we have a kid from New York City and we've done right by him, that word travels. The same way when we haven't done right by him, that word travels. So, you know, I think just being open, being honest and connecting with the right people around them too. You know, knowing who is important in your life? Is it mom? Is it dad? Is it grandma? Is it girlfriend? Is it high school coach? Is it AU coach? Is it my, you know, pastor? Whoever it is, connecting with those people too to say, look, this is who we are. This is why we think we can be good for your son and, you know, how we're going to treat him. And, and then when they get there, treating them the right way. There's a tweet of your son, Nate, dribbling the ball back <laughs> and forth on the Dayton floor. It's pretty incredible in the NCAA tournament. And obviously, Coach Grasso, he has some incredible tweets about his son and his family. Yep. How do you balance being in the profession? You just, you know, we were texting last night. We were going to record this thing late in the evening. And you're like, Kev, I got to do this to this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to get my son to go to bed. Like, and I only have one. And I just text you like, I don't know how you do it with three. But like, how do you balance being this incredible dad involved in your children's life and then, you know, want to be an aspiring head coach? It's a lot of sacrifice, to be honest with you. And and again, it goes back to, you know, I guess what will end up being the common theme of this. Like, it goes back to being part of a team, mm. you know. And, and if you think about, you know, our family unit with Megan, my wife, Philip, who's 12. And he was the original, like, internet superstar in our family. He was the one that was dressing up, mimicking my dad, you know, eight years ago. And now has turned into full-fledged, you know, like, shorts and jerseys and the whole deal. And Nate is a clone of Philip. Four-year-old Nate is a clone of four-year-old Philip. It's very scary. But uh, And then we have a 10-year-old daughter, Mara. Wow. So being part of that team, you know, being part of that team to say, okay, what's today's schedule? What's tonight's schedule? Okay, Mara's got a soccer game at 4 o'clock, and Philip's got practice at 6, and Nate needs to be, you know, obviously corralled and fed and you know, all those things and, and bathed and get the bit. And it's just that being part of that team. And knowing that, hey, the time for myself is going to be limited, you know, and, and that's okay. And I always say to people, and I'm sure you could reiterate this, like being a father is the most work, but the most rewarding. Yeah, It is. It's a lot of work. Like you're not prepared for it. You don't know. And all of a sudden it hits you. But those moments are priceless, you know, like hanging with Nate. And, and I'm fortunate and have been very fortunate at almost all of my stops to work in family environment and Jared obviously with his three children and growing up as a coach's son, you know, he's so welcoming. Like, you know, yesterday in the morning, like Nate was with me in the office for like two, three hours and the guys on the staff and breaking it, like our young guys taking him down the gym and playing one-on-one with him and running around with him and mm. taking him across camp. You know, like I don't even know where he is half the time. Like, where's Nate? Yeah. Somebody's like, Oh yeah, Doug took him to go get ice cream. Luke took him to, to ride in the golf cart. Oh, you know, it's just, being a part of that and, and allowing our families to be in there and embrace that and, you know, have Philip come on a, a road trip with me or, you know, have Mara come, you know, be with the team and, and be on the floor in Dayton and, you know, have the kids in the locker room after the game celebrating a big win. Like that stuff for me fueled my joy of this and fueled my passion for this. And, and it helps that our kids enjoy it and love it too. I always say that like they were going to go one way or another because, 
it's really not just my dad. It's not just me. It's not just my brother that are coaching, but for my children, my father-in-law is a high school coach in Connecticut. My brother-in-law is a college coach at Post University Division Two in Connecticut. So they're at games all the time. So one way or another, they were going to love this or they were going to hate this. We're pretty fortunate that they love it. So just any time being able to, to grab them and say, hey, let's go to Bryant and go get some shots up. Hey, let's go run around the gym. Hey, just come hang out. Hey, come in the locker room after the game, whatever it is. And then when I'm away from that, trying to be dad, you know, and trying to find ways to put away my phone and put away my computer and trying not to be that guy that's just constantly, you know, walking away from the dinner table, you know, taking calls and texting and things like that. So I always end the podcast and you've dropped about 55 of them, but what are some simple tips for young coaches? I think one being resilient. The one thing I would say is longevity in this business boils down to how much BS you can deal with, how much nonsense you can put up with, you know, in terms of whether it's low pay or long hours or, you know, getting passed over for a job or somebody that you think's not as good getting a, a better job, you know, whatever it is. I think that is a big part of it. You know, it's not the most glamorous part of it, but it is a big part of it. Being resilient with that and, and just kind of pushing forward. I, I do think the handling responsibility is a big deal that I mentioned. I think that's huge. And the small things that are not the small things that matter to somebody that really does play a factor. An experienced, you know, an older assistant or a head coach or somebody that's above you says, hey, can you handle this? And handling it to the best of your ability because all that's going to do is say, okay, if you can handle A, I can give you A and B now. And then, hey, you can handle A and B, I can give you A, B, and C and, and down the line. So I think that's huge. And I think just working hard, just showing that you're you're not afraid to work hard. I think that gets lost sometimes because guys are trying to get up that ladder so quick. But, you know, work really hard and let the people around you be champions for you because you're doing that, because you're responsible, because you work hard. You know, the people around you will, will feel that and, and let people know that. And it's not just you running around saying, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And no one's giving me any credit. No, like they'll give you that credit when that time comes. So. You know, I think those are the, the big things for me. And if you want to coach, coach. Don't worry about being the next John Calipari or Mike Krzyzewski or Jay Wright. Or, like, if you want to coach, coach. So if you're coaching a middle school, you know, B team, go coach that middle school B team to the best of your ability mm. and, and give those kids something. You know, and if you're coaching, you know, the women at Eastern Michigan or you're coaching the men at Bryant or you're coaching, you know, the Lakers, give all that you have to give to those players and the people in that program. So a few years back, my wife's son and I were coming home from the pool at our little complex and we saw this guy moving into a unit and I took a double take and it was your father, Phil Martelli. I've talked about my love and respect for your dad numerous times. Incredible coach, better person. But so coach and I would talk all the time about his family, talk about the Jersey Shore and his eyes would light up talking about seeing his grandkids. And then, you know, he started to talk to me about you and your brother and your sister. And then I really just started to dive into your career. You know, this past season, I checked the box score every night or every time you guys played just to see how you were doing. You know, I'm so appreciative of your time today. I asked for 30 minutes. Coach Jared can bill me, but I, I'm, I'm just so super appreciative that you would tell your story and you would want to help so many young coaches. So thank you. No, thank you. So many people have helped me along the way. And I'm a big believer in this big network that we all have. We all get to do something special that, you know, a lot of people outside of it don't understand it, but those of us that are in it understand it. And, you know, anytime I get a chance to, to connect with somebody, a young guy, and try to help them. I just always think back to all the people that embraced me along the way. Well, I'm wishing you and your family an amazing summer. I know it's going to be a good one. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate you. That was a great conversation with Coach Phil Martelli Jr. Here are some things that I love that Coach Phil said and why he coaches. Coach Phil loves being part of a team. How do all the pieces fit? There is something bigger than yourself. And Coach Jared best out-of-the-box thinker that he has ever been around. Why do we do this? Is there a better way? Coach Jared is a brilliant basketball mind. Actually, I think Coach Phil said this multiple times. I love the message that Coach Phil shared at the campus pep rally, everybody's championship, on why Brian scores. Play fast. They preach sharing the basketball, an aggressive mindset. They put pressure on you, on their defensive mentality. And I love this. 
Why full court pressure to create a quick shot? Worst case scenario, 17, 18 seconds left on the shot clock. How they defend the three-point line and a great assist to Coach Gallo at Merrimack. No one should shoot it where they catch it. We play in the full court all the time. Every individual workout that Coach Phil does has a component of one-on-one in it. And his dad believes that you should play one-on-one every day. How about what he said about his mom on her being a great player, winning three national championships? Wow. How about how both his mom and dad and Phil and his wife all met first working at basketball camps? Incredible. On his mom's role in his life. Love all the tributes Coach Phil gave to her. A flat-out saint. Happy Mother's Day, Mrs. Martelli. Some more great advice that Coach Phil shared that I simply love. Continue to work hard at the job that you are at. Earn the respect of the people you work with. Understand this is a long journey. Everything's going to be okay. Be a true worker. You have to be flexible. You have to be organized. And you have to be organized so when the chaos comes, you're ready and you can handle it. Be able to handle responsibilities. How about when Coach Darren at UCLA wrote Coach Phil a letter and the impact one note that has made on Coach Phil's professional career? Never underestimate the impact that you can make as an assistant coach. Love how Phil broke down three times that he was the acting head coach. Making connections in recruiting, finding a common ground, and being really real with them. Love how Phil described his own family to like a team. Super cool analogy. Lastly, more great advice for young coaches. Be resilient, push forward, handle responsibility. And finally, and this is some incredible advice. If you want to coach, coach. If you're coaching your middle school team, coach them to the best of your abilities. Give all that you have to those players. I love this so much. I have listened to the end of this conversation countless times. So good. So inspiring. Thank you, Coach Phil Martelli, for sharing your story. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you are currently listening. And we are everywhere. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Drow. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Stay safe. I can't say this enough. Be you. Keep coaching, like Coach Phil said. And see you on the next episode of the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast.